This week, we celebrate the 40th anniversary of the first space shuttle flight, which took place on April 12, 1981. And to help us look back at the early space shuttle days, we're going to be joined by author and historian David Hitt. Don't forget to tell us what your shuttle memories are. On social media, we're at Space and Things 1 on Twitter or get involved at Space and Things Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And a big thank you to whoever it was who gave us our 20th Apple Podcast five-star review. Help us get to 40 before our 40th episode by heading over there right now. Actually, before you do that, just enjoy episode 33 of the Space and Things Podcast. You're listening to Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 33 of our podcast. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing well. That Yeah, I'm doing really good. I, I uh, We just did a, a fun interview. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about it more, but uh, it left me feeling very cheerful, so I, I'm really happy. Yeah, I had a big smile on my face on it uh, during that, that's for sure. That is for sure. So uh, hope, hopefully people will enjoy that later. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the 40th anniversary of, uh, of that first space shuttle flight, and there's been a lot of fun things going on online this week. I, in particular, um, in Space Hipsters, Her Baker has been posting some wonderful stuff. Uh, if anyone's in there, have a look for his posts because they really are so insightful. He used to work for NASA, so everything is 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 very personal for him, and it's really great to see. Yeah, I found out some stuff this week uh, on the board that I honestly did not really know about um, STS one. Yeah, like you said, Herb Baker's been sharing some amazing stuff. So if you're in that group, please uh, please check it out. There's a lot of really cool memories and. Uh, stuff that I I had no idea about, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I've seen some great videos this week, which I'd never seen before. So that's all wonderful. If you're not a member of the Space Hipsters Facebook group yet, why not go and check it out? Um, now, at the end of the last week's podcast, I had to drop in uh, without Emily being here because uh, we heard the news that that. Philip Chapman had unfortunately passed away. So now Emily is here. I know you definitely will have something to say about this. Yeah. Um, last year, I got the uh, opportunity uh, to interview uh, Phil Chapman. I, I did a, a series. I did sort of three pieces about him last year. And I, I did write a, um, a tribute to him on the National Space Society. He was really cool. I, I emailed him and I honestly expected nothing back from him because i'd sort of heard through the grapevine he's he doesn't really like he's not really into being interviewed you know he's he's not mean or anything like that he's a nice person but he's kind of quiet you know and reserved which is fine like and i i totally respect that so i don't you know i honestly did not expect a response back and the next day after i email him i get a response you know hey emily you know would i'd be happy to talk and i'm like what so um, I had the opportunity to interview him and ask him some questions about his life and career. I was particularly uh, interested in the fact that he went to Antarctica. He explored Antarctica mm. in the 50s, which isn't something everybody was doing back then. I was really curious to hear about what that experience was like and you know, maybe some stories from that time. I found him to be very helpful, and he had a very dry sense of humor, uh, he was from Australia, of course, so that mm-hmm. may oh that may be that might be why I, I found him to be a wonderful person and a lot of fun to talk to. So, um, and I'm gonna miss him terribly. We did stay in touch a little bit. Uh, I feel like with his loss, sort of a big part of space history is gone in a way because he was the first Australian-born person to become an astronaut, and I think that's a big part of space history. Is you know Australia's sort of entree into it or their participation in it because they have a big stake in spaceflight. I mean, obviously they had the tracking stations, they had, you know, the the um, deep space network there. You know, they have a lot of infrastructure there that's dedicated to spaceflight. Obviously, in a more humorous vein, Skylab fell over parts of it, you know. I mean, um, they do have their own space agency and they obviously have their own space fans, so um, I feel like this is sort of a big loss in terms of, you know, this was one of the first pioneers 
from that country to become an astronaut and to do a lot of those things. So I feel like we've lost sort of a big piece of that history now. But uh, I'm very grateful that even in a very small way, I was able to, you know, sort of chat with him. So and he was a great guy. So and I will miss him. And and obviously we send our condolences to the to the family, and I will post a link to Emily's uh, NSS National Space Society blog post uh, remembering Philip Chapman for those who would like um, to know more. Um, but I think I think we should uh, get cracking with uh, looking at at the 40th anniversary and getting into our uh, interview. So yeah, this this week is the as well as being the 60th anniversary of human spaceflight, it's also the 40th anniversary of the first space shuttle flight. The mission called STS One or Space Transportation System One was flown on the Columbia shuttle and lasted for 54.5 hours. It orbited the Earth. Uh, 36 times with two astronauts on board, Commander John Young and pilot Robert Crippen. Now, to look at this in more detail, we asked David Hitt to join us this week. Some of you might be familiar with his work, but if you've not heard of him before, then you're in for a real treat. I found it difficult to summarize David as he's done so much. So instead, I'm just going to read the About section from his website. David Hitt is co-author of two books, Homestead in Space, the Skylab story. And Bold Day Rise, the Space Shuttle Early Years, both part of the award-winning Outward Odyssey Spaceflight Heroes series from the University of Nebraska Press. David has also appeared in award-winning documentaries Searching for Skylab and Saving Skylab. He has worked as a contractor at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center since 2002 and currently provides communication support for the center's Human Exploration Development and Operations Office, responsible for human spaceflight efforts ranging from science operations on the International Space Station to development of future space habitats. A contractor with Manufacturing Technical Solutions, Inc., David is a recipient of NASA's Silver Snoopy Award, presented by the agency's Astronaut Office. He is also a former newspaper editor. Hitt is a native of Huntsville, Alabama, and holds a bachelor's degree in journalism from the University of Mississippi. David is a past president of the Huntsville-Madison County Historical Society and a past policy formulation subcommittee chair for the National Space Society. He volunteers at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and is a senior member of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. David and his wife Rebecca are guides for the Huntsville Ghost Walk, participate in the annual Maple Hill Cemetery Stroll, and blog for the Huntsville-Madison County Convention and Visitors Bureau. That is quite the resume. (laughs) Absolutely. It is. He does everything. And now you know him a little bit better. So we're going to get on with the interview. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Welcome, David Hitt, to Space and Things, the podcast. Now, I just read out your full bio from your website. It's quite something. To make the NASA lawyers happy, I am speaking as the author of Bold They Rise, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form representing NASA, MTS, or any other organization. Opinions expressed are strictly my own and likely those of no one else. So... Excellent. <laughs> Got it. I appreciate okay. that, that, that you've just done that for us. So uh, thank you for joining us uh, to talk about um, the, the, the first space shuttle flight, which happened 40 years ago. Um, so uh, uh, Emily uh, sent me a message earlier with some questions on, and, and the first one, which I, I'm just going to I'm gonna steal because it's good. Uh, can, can you do us a favor? Can you set the scene? Uh, so uh, what, what was the promise of the program, and, and, and what did it mean during development? Oh gosh! So, um, so a fun game that I uh, that I started playing a few years ago was uh, was Richard Nixon or Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> you you go back to uh, to Richard Nixon's initial announcement of the space shuttle and uh, and and his speech that he gave about this uh, this new space capability that the United States was uh, was about to develop. And you can pull lines from that. And I mean, I swear to you, it is like Elon Musk has gone back and hired uh, Richard Nixon's speechwriter. I mean, you can you can pull lines, quotes from either of them 
put them side by side. And it's amazing how much these uh, these two men were of completely the same mind um, when it comes to uh, to spaceflight. You know, this uh, this uh, this new vehicle is going to, uh, you know, to, it's going to be reusable. It's going to because it's reusable, it's going to uh, to greatly reduce the cost of access of space because uh, it's reducing the cost of access to space. It's going to open the space frontier for uh, for commerce, for uh you know, for all sorts of people that have never been to space before to be able to go to space. And, you know, because we're able to do these things, it's going to open access to uh, to the moon and to Mars and this new era of space exploration. And, you know, Richard Nixon gets Richard Nixon gets a bad rap about a lot of things. Uh, some of them well deserved, <laughs> but, but uh, he gets a bad rap in the arena of space. But really, you know, strong case to be made that the only thing he was wrong about was uh, was the timing that he was uh, you know ahead of his time, and and so that was the promise of the space shuttle. It's it's arguably an amazing act of hubris. This is a vehicle that shouldn't exist. You you start looking at at what this thing is. You know, it's 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 a rocket, but it's but it's also a uh, an RV, a caravan. It's also a uh, uh, you know a, a moving truck. It's a lorry. It's a uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a laboratory on wheels. It's uh, a rocket, but it's also a glider. Um, it's everything. I mean, you, you go out and you pick a vehicle. Like, what is a vehicle that exists today? Uh, and that's what the space shuttle is. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, uh, it's a maintenance vehicle. You know, it's a, um, that, that thing that, um, that drives by your house and, and does, uh, you know, yard work. It's that. You know, it's, uh, it's the garbage truck. It's the, uh, the, the, the recycling. I mean, it's literally the recycling truck. We can go up and we can pick up your, uh, your recycling, you know, bring it back, put it back up. Um, if there is a vehicle that exists, that's what the space shuttle is. That's insane. Mm. The only moment that that seems like a good idea is the exact moment it's introduced, right? <laughs> uh, the, the U.S. Congress approves funding for uh, for the space shuttle. It moves from a pre-program to an actual program. It's official. And that happens, you know, the announcement is made by John Young standing on the surface of the moon. So you you take this idea, like, is this a good idea? Is this insane? Is this a thing that we really can do? Is it is it even possible? And you realize you're asking this question of somebody who is uh, standing on the freaking moon. Uh, <laughs> And at that point, like, all bets are off. Yeah, sure, we can do it. I'm standing on the moon. Uh, yeah, so John Young's <laughs> on the moon. He's like, yeah, we need this space shuttle. It's, uh, you'll see, you know, this is, America really needs this thing. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's the heritage. That's where it comes from. We, uh, the, you know, the, the United States, NASA, um, through, uh, through, you know, kind of decisions made by President Johnson had, had reached a point where, Apollo was a thing of the past. You know, I mean, the, the line had already been shut down. They, uh, you know, the long lead orders for future rockets had, uh, had been, uh, had been turned off. So, you know, you're kind of at a point where you've got to do something. And, um, and so, you know, the agreement was this, uh, this space shuttle thing. That's, that's the answer. Uh, that, I love that, that the, the, uh, Elon versus Nixon yeah. game. <laughs> I'm going to start playing yeah, that. I, I, that's a great, I never thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it really does. Wow. I didn't even think about it in that context, but it really, they do sound a lot alike. It's kind of eerie at times. <laughs> it's frightening. Yeah. Cause the more I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what's going on. Let's talk a little bit more about, you know, obviously the shuttle stopped flying almost 10 years ago. What, it, what do you think it, you know, it means now to us and what is its legacy? Do you think we might see anything close to that? I don't know if it's it would be a space plane, but what is its legacy now? Oh gosh, um, do I think we'll see anything close to that? I honestly, um, you know, I am a space optimist. I I believe we're going to see exciting stuff in space in my lifetime. I believe we're going to see, um, you know, people that you, that you would never dream. I mean, you're seeing that now. People that uh, you know just picked off the street. Congratulations, you're going to space. You know, and that's that's mm. that's not happening in my lifetime. That's happening this year. I, I really believe we're going to uh, we're going to see people on the moon, you know, soon and, and very soon. Um, I am, I'm very excited about the future of space. And yet even so, that's an area where, no, we will not see the life of the space shuttle again in our lifetimes. We will see vehicles that do some things the space shuttle did 
better than the space shuttle did them. We will see a vehicle that is cheaper than the space shuttle. We will see a vehicle that is more powerful than the space shuttle. We will see a, a vehicle, you know, that can carry more people than the space shuttle. But we will never see, I don't think, in my lifetime, another vehicle that, again, that is that, you know, every vehicle on Earth put together in one spaceship again. It's really funny to me. Are we allowed to say the uh, the, the, the the other S word? I hear that that Emily gets dinged if she uh, if she says it. Oh, <laughs> I know what you can say it. You can say it. We might have to ding you, but you yeah, can say it. Yeah, no, it's, it's only Emily that gets dinged. Don't worry. I was gonna bring it up, but I was actually gonna say it. But you brought it up first. And I'm very wow. You can't expect Emily and I to have a conversation and uh, and for it to not come up. You know, this is. I mean, te- technically, I said it during your introduction. So, uh, you know, technically, it's been said. I broke the. I broke that boundary. I broke that glass ceiling already in this episode. We're fine. <laughs> so, I, you know, I've, I've written two books about space flight history. One about Skylab. One about shuttle. I'm working on the Skylab book. The Skylab book comes out while Shuttle is still flying. Skylab is this thing that's that's underappreciated, that people have kind of forgotten about. It's it's this lost history. Shuttle, when it comes out, I mean, it's still flying. People are excited. You know, we're, we're approaching the final flight of Shuttle. There's a huge passion, a huge love for Shuttle. And, and the weird thing is, okay, fast forward uh, 10 years later, and, uh, you know, and, and because of folks like uh, like Emily and like Dwight and, and, and you know, and maybe me a little, I don't know, um, like there's a new love for Skylab, like Skylab. Oh, man. You know, I mean, that's the hotness. We love Skylab, which is awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all <laughs> for. But like shuttles, the new Skylab shuttles kind of turning into this, um, you know, it's underappreciated. It's kind of forgotten what all it did. It's It's kind of. Falling into uh, into that place, this was really sad for me to uh, to see. Because yeah, I mean, shuttle. Oh gosh, you know, I mean, what did shuttle do, right? Um, established a uh, you know a, a a lasting human foothold in uh, in low Earth orbit. It gave us the International Space Station. Um, it let us see you know the universe in a way that we never had before with uh, with Hubble. Um, you know, the, the spinoffs, the technologies that came out of shuttle. My uh, you know, a favorite example that I go to is shuttle helped fight cancer accidentally. Um, one of my uh, one of one of my favorite spinoff stories is uh, is Hubble gets launched. Um, you know, of course, Hubble when it's launched, the huge you know misstep, the big black eye for NASA because the uh, you know the mirror is out of focus. We're gonna have to fix it. We're gonna have to send astronauts up because we have shuttle. We can do that, but we've got this period of years where we have a, a broken telescope in orbit. What can we do with it? Well, what if we use, wrote software that could compensate for the error in the uh, the mirror? Let's let's see if we can't you know use software to to fix it up so that we get better images. They do. It works. Somebody says, um, "Can we use that software for other things?" And it turns out, yes, you can use that software for uh, for mammograms. So. Um, so there are people, you know, there are women whose lives have been saved because Hubble didn't work. Like, like the idea that somebody <laughs> might have died if Hubble had worked perfectly. Um, but that's the sort of, you know, this sort of trickle down impact that uh, that shuttle had. Um, like we talked about it, you know, it, it, it out Elon to Elon back when his, uh, you know, when his mom was still young. It's helped, you know, keep the Cold War from being hot and eventually helped end the Cold War in, in ways that, uh, you know, that, that are still being unpacked. Um, inspiration you know i mean little little kids who watched the uh, the first launch of the shuttle and uh, right and uh end up you know 40 years later sitting around on a podcast talking about it cuz uh, cuz they just can't let that moment go mm-hmm. you know i mean shuttle's a wonderful thing but it's being kind of uh, litigated today it's being kind of you know is was shuttle a good thing was it a good program was it was it worth it was it a uh, you know was it a waste or was it a mistake and you know there are those of us who are of a generation that we grew up with it that it's that it's our spaceship um 10 years after it starts fl- stops flying uh you now have a new generation that's grown up with new vehicles that those are you know that those are their spaceships that's their generation um and they're kind of you know what do we do with this shuttle thing and it, it didn't live up to the flight cadence. Um, it didn't live up to the cost. Um, it never fully realized the ambition of, of what else they set out for it to be. Um, without question, the things it did accomplish, no other vehicle had done before, no other vehicle does now, no other vehicle, like I said, in my lifetime will likely do. Um, 
So does that make it a success or a failure? And if shuttle is a if shuttle is a failure, if we say that the, the shuttle program is a failure, if we say the shuttle program was a mistake because it never lived up to that initial goal, those initial dreams, then the lesson of shuttle is check your ambition. The limit of the lesson of shuttle is don't reach farther than you know that you can reach. You know, the, the lesson of shuttle is don't try anything. If you uh, if you don't if you're not positive that you can succeed, don't push farther than uh, than you know you can push. And I'm not I'm not okay with that being the lesson. You know, like I'm not okay with that being what we should learn. Exactly. Yeah, I I, I love the shuttle. I think it's iconic as well. I think that it's such a beautiful ship. Oh. Uh, it 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 just looks magnificent when it when it's standing on the pad, when it's flying, when it's coming back to the land, everything about it I just love the romance of. Yeah. Uh, and I think because it is the way it looks, I think it it's still, the images of it and the, and the videos still have the power to inspire today, even though it hasn't flown for 10 years. I, I really do believe that. I want to get back to this first flight. You just mentioned that there's lots of new spacecraft around and there's more to come. But what strikes me with all these new spacecraft is how much testing needs to be done <laughs> before they are ready right? to put humans right? in. Yeah, that's, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a great idea. And th- and then it really strikes me every time I think about that first flight. It's the first ever flight, not test flight. It's yes. the first ever flight, and there are two people sitting in yes. there. How? I mean, how much did they pay John Young and Bob Crippen to do that? Because I'm not, not sure not you could have paid me any. I I, love, I want to go to space, to go in an untested space flight. Mm, not sure. Not sure. <laughs> well, you know, and so the irony is though. The astronaut office fought for that. That was the thing that the astronaut office really firmly believed. Wow. They, uh, we want to fly this vehicle crewed from first flight. Um, that was a discussion. Do we do we fly it uncrewed first? And, and you know, I mean, this is early in the process, so there's a decision tree, and I mean, it's not a last minute sort of decision. It's a you know, here's what here's where we have to go to do it this way, and here's where we have to go. Uh, to do it that way in what this vehicle is. And uh, in the astronaut office, you know, fought hard for the, we, <laughs> we want to, uh, we want to fly it crude the first flight. And the reason for that being, if they don't fly it crude the first flight, if shuttle flies uncrewed the first time, shuttle has to be a vehicle that can fly uncrewed. And what that means is from that day forth, from STS-1 through STS-135, at any point, NASA can decide, you know what? Uh, you know, I mean, so we're seeing this now, right? Inspiration4, the uh, the upcoming uh, Dragon uh, launch. And how amazing is this? There are no astronauts on this vehicle. They sold the whole capsule. They picked four people. None of them had no any, you know, are, are professional astronauts. None of them are, uh, are trying to fly this thing. The thing flies itself. They're, they're along for the ride. They have roles on the, you know, they're, they're a crew. They have jobs during the flight. They have things that they're going to do. Um, but it's not pilot the vehicle. The vehicle pilots itself. That was not what the first astronauts had in mind. Like the astronaut corps that, uh, that was in place in the, in the late 60s and the early 70s when that decision is being made. That's not what they signed up for. We don't want to be passengers. We want to, uh, we want to be astronauts. We want to be pilots. We want to be crew. Um, we don't want this thing to have the capability that, uh, that, that SpaceX has with Crew Dragon today that it can be an autonomous vehicle. The risk of that is, okay, so two of us are going to have to get in the thing and make that first flight, but it's worth it. That's just crazy. It's, <laughs> I think it's a level of ego you have to have, which I don't think I'm capable of ever getting to, but to fight for yeah. the right to fly an untested spacecraft. It's just bonkers. I might have done the fifth mission, but not the first one. Maybe yeah. I would have, like, I would have maybe, you know, done, like, STS-5, maybe, you know, and just pop out a few satellites, you know, and stuff like that. I might have done that one, not the first one. Yeah. And hindsight's at play here as well, because we obviously know what happened to Challenger and later to Columbia. So we know that this was a dangerous ship. And... You don't seem to see in either John Young or Bob Crippen that this looks like a this could be a dangerous ship. They seem perfectly happy about it. The tiles left on the launch pad would would, uh, 
would have bothered me more than it apparently bothered John and Crip. That's I, uh, I, I would have been upset about that. Yeah, I think I listened to the audio for that once, and I'm like, really? Like, they weren't even, like, phased. They're like, oh, yeah, we're missing a few tiles. And everybody on the ground was, like, crapping their pants at that moment. Like, I know for a fact people are like, oh, right. my God, on the ground. You know, they're thinking, oh, this is a failure. And then John and Crip are just like, yeah, we're missing some tiles on the engine bells, but whatever. And I'm like, what? So, yeah, I don't know. That's literally what it sounded like to me. They're just really, like, chill about it and stuff. Like, I don't think they were bothered by, it. like, all of the thousands of people on Earth who were, like, flipping out at that moment. I was reading, like, the STS-1, like, summary of all the stuff that happened during the launch that, you know, they found out later. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, you couldn't have paid me a, a million bucks. I wouldn't have gone on it because reading the report, I was like, yeah, they had... I think the body flap got bent. You know, they just, they had no idea like the solids were going to be as solid as they were. You know, I mean, they really just didn't know what they didn't know. So, I mean, they had mathematical yeah. models, but okay. You know, <laughs> they're mo yeah. models from the 70s, you know. <laughs> and and some of it, they, they didn't even have that, you know, the, the, the aerodynamic interface coming back in from space to uh, to to land this thing. What the what the 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 you know the aerodynamics of the atmospheric conditions really were. It's a guess. Like like we don't even have good models. Yeah, we'll just wing it. Like what? Yeah, I gotta <laughs> love the the seventies aerospace there. But um, it it was very much like seventies parenting almost. So. <laughs> Okay, I did want to mention this because you, you brought up now that Shuttle is now like Skylab, which sounds terrible, but Shuttle now kind of occupies that spot where it's not being as appreciated, you know, as it should be. Right. I'm not trying to challenge you, but I do see things like I'll go to Target or I'll go to clothing stores and I notice that, you know, the space shuttle's on a bunch of t-shirts now and the worm logo has come back. Do you think people, younger people view like that is sort of a trendy like a fashion thing or do you think they might actually sort of know what that is or appreciate what that is what are your thoughts on that because sometimes i'm like do they know what that is or do, do they just think it's something cool on a shirt well okay so okay now now we're deep diving. okay this gets fun yeah <laughs> emily you may have experienced correct me if i'm wrong but I, I think you may have encountered um there are some people who feel like space has to be a versus that every once in a while you get a you get people who you know well I like this thing so this thing must be bad or you know this spaceship is yeah. good which means I can't like that spaceship right yeah Apollo is good but the shuttle sucks and I'm like you know and so those are the circles where where shuttle shuttle becomes kind of underappreciated the you know the versus people it's kind of underappreciated the uh, the and people you know yeah no there's 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 it's iconic you're right I mean there's there's a resonance to it a, a thing that really is a pet peeve to me. And that is that, uh, that, that Pluto hasn't been a planet in 15 years. And when you see, you know, like seven-year-olds talking about, I think Pluto is still a planet, it's because some parent, you know, like mm -hmm. eight years before your kid was born, that was settled. <laughs> Be Elsa for on Frozen, let it go. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it's, that's beautiful. But oh the, the good side is those same parents are also the ones who, you know, well, let me let me tell you about the space shuttle, kid. Um, and I'm grateful for that. That's that's good parenting. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I think there's definitely it's 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 a thing that's ingrained in our consciousness. There's another facet of this as well, which is there is an element of people who don't know much about spaceflight who assume that every single spacecraft is called a space shuttle. Uh, I get this quite a lot when someone asks me, when's the next space shuttle going up? And they just mean the next rocket they, or the next mission with an astronaut on board. They, the, the term space shuttle has become a catch-all uh, language device. And I'm pretty sure some people are doing it now just to wind me up. I'm not sure. Conversely, I encounter people to whom all space shuttles are challenger, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. You know, and, and it's frustrating how much 51L dominated the uh, the impression, the conversation um, about shuttle. You know, it's it's uh, you know, with SLS still get still get people when they when they say that the SLS is using a, uh, you know, a modified version of the, the shuttle solid rocket boosters. 
Well, I sure hope they fix that O-ring. It's like, yes, 40 years they ago. A, you, know, you worked for it. They, they fixed the O-ring. Yeah. Like that's, that's, it was that's, fixed a while back. We're yeah. good. Which leads to a pretty obvious question, which is, do you think the space shuttle program as a whole suffers from the fact that over the 135 missions, there were two failures and that people are so engrossed with those in terms of documentaries and books that they forget the positives that the program brought as well? Uh, and, and do you think that, you know, maybe someone needs to think about that and, and come up with a positive way of presenting the space shuttle? Um. Yes. I mean, short answer, yes. There needs to be, you know, shuttle uh, shuttle documentaries, big screen shuttle movies, shuttle TV shows, shuttle uh, new shuttle books, uh, shuttle Happy Meals. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, shuttle, you know, so shuttle it kind of suffers from overkill, though. I mean, there are, when 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 I started working on Skylab, um, you know, I, I could hold in my hands, you know, a stack of books that high that were, you know, the, the, the literature on a on, on Skylab shuttle. Oh gosh. You know, I mean, I've got a bookcase of, uh, of, of just the astronaut shuttle books. Um, mm. and so, you know, it's, it's time to, to take all of those stories and, and, and find the story in those stories to, to kind of, you know, I would love to see somebody, you know, let's, let's boil it all down. Let's condense it and let's kind of start pulling out the, um, the narrative within the narrative. Of uh of shuttle. Spacecraft must go broad orbit. This thing is just performing just outstanding. Now let's get into some more fun. Let's get into some more sort of fun territory. Can you tell us any favorite shuttle stories from when you were writing, you know, Bold They Rise, something you've heard? And who do you think is like a unsung hero? And do you have any, you know, maybe fun stories about, you know, that you like? So here's my uh here's my I am speaking as space author David. And not NASA contractor David, because NASA contractor David cannot agree with this. It is wrong <laughs> by completely wrong. Um, there is no truth to this. But space author David um, firmly believes that uh, that Tedris was the worst thing to happen to uh, to the space shuttle program, and uh, and possibly to uh, to human spaceflight. The uh, wow, you know, the communication satellites, the the satellite network that lets them communicate, you know. All, Almost nonstop, almost twenty four seven between uh, between mission control between the ground and uh, and space shuttle space station. Professionally speaking, a wonderful invention that it is able you know uh, space operations in a way that otherwise wouldn't be possible. But you go back and you read those first missions, like before Tetris becomes operational, before they get um, you know twenty four seven coverage. So in those days, it's back to the old, you know, Apollo Skylab module. You you go AOS, you go LOS. You're, you you can talk to the ground for a while. You lose the signal. Uh, LOS lost the signal. Um, you can't talk to the ground for a while. You come AOS over another ground station, acquisition of signal. Now you're over, you know, Canberra and you can talk again. Um, yep. But you have long blackout periods in between. And and in writing the book, I was kind of shocked at, at mission after mission after mission, how there were these times when... Well, we can't solve this. We've got a problem. You know, we can't get the satellite to deploy ground. What should we do? We go through the checklist. Okay, we're going to work with the engineers. We're going to come up with a solution. We're going to solve this. Okay, try doing this. This doesn't work. And, 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 and they work through it. They work through it the right way. And then they go LOS. They lose touch with the ground. Radio silence. A um, little bit later, they come AOS, acquisition of signal. They can talk to the ground again. It's, it's fixed. We deploy the satellite. And, <laughs> okay, wait, what, what, what did you do? You know, and it turns out like the answer is, well, we took the robot arm and we shook it real hard. Um, and, and like, you're not That's supposed beautiful. to do that. And yet it works. And there was time after time that like, okay, you're not supposed to do that. But because the ground can't tell them no, and the ground can't hear them, <laughs> exactly. uh, they just do. And they come AOS again. And it's like, okay, yeah, we, we fixed it. <laughs> Yeah, we we opened the airlock and threw a ha hammer at it. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So today we've got Tetris, you know, different world, but okay, you're looking at um you know, you're looking at missions to Mars, you're looking at uh sending people around the uh the you know, the far side of the moon again and um you know, the the, the past is the future, right? Um we're going to be back <laughs> to a model kind of more like where we were back then than where we are today in in just a few years. Yeah, I'd never never given that much thought, but you're you're absolutely right there. Now I want to I want to get back to to STS one, 
I'm just gonna gonna bring it back round again. Um, and for someone who perhaps doesn't know much about the space shuttle or that first mission, what were what were the key objectives? What were they actually trying to achieve? Was it a success just because it went and came back? Is that all they were trying to do? Um, I was gonna say what made it a success was SDS two. Um, yeah, that, that's we did it, and after we did it, we still felt good enough to do it again. Yeah, you know, and, and and kind of touching on what we were hitting on earlier, it's it's almost like STS one was two different missions, depending on whether you were whether you were on the orbiter or whether you're in mission control. The the experience on the orbiter <laughs> very much seems to be they went up, they came back. Um, you know, that's that's the mission, that's the goal, that's the uh, you know, that's that's the 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 two mission objectives are: can we go up and can we come back? And uh, and the answer is yes. Um, you know, Crippen was asked uh, what was the best part of the mission, and he said, you know, the the part between uh, between launch and landing. And that was it, it. Was all the best part. Um, if you're on the ground, you know, yes, this this they they open the doors, they look back, they uh, they see tiles missing off the uh, the ohm spots. That's that's not optimal. Um, you know, that's 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 really not what you want. The 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 uh, the the tiles on the Ohm's pod, the thermal protection missing from the uh, from the Ohm's pod, that's for reusability, not for survivability, right? That's mm -hmm. um, you want to be able to bring this this vehicle home. You want to be able to uh, to turn it around fairly quickly, fairly inexpensively, get it ready to fly again. If your Ohm spots melt off. Um, and, and, you know, for your hypothetical person not as familiar, these are the, the maneuvering thrusters um, on the uh, on the back of the shuttle that, uh, you know, that have the two smaller engines by the three space shuttle main engines. Um, yeah, if that's melting off every time you fly, it's going to get expensive. You know, like <laughs> that drives your, your costs yeah. up. Um, so we really need these to, uh, to, to survive reentry. Um, so that, that's what that thermal protection system was for. Worst case scenario, if all of the tiles, if all of the thermal protection had come off of the uh, the maneuvering thrusters, worst case scenario is they melt completely off the vehicle. You have to completely replace them. You don't want to do that. So those are the tiles that that they see when they open the uh, the, the 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 cargo bay doors and look back. Um, so you know what they know is we're in danger. We're we're potentially in danger of having some damage to uh, to a part of the vehicle that would have to be repaired when we get back. But it raises the question: if that came off, um, what else came off? Mm -hmm. And so they uh, they look at the launch pad <laughs> at uh, Kennedy Space Center. And uh, they determined, yeah, that was not all that came off. Um, you know, Columbia, Columbia, Columbia taught us um, many years later what what can happen if you um, if you have problems with your tiles, right? And and so that then is the question, right? I mean, at that point, it's no longer a question of reusability. It's no longer a question of refurbishing the vehicle. At that point, you know, if, if you're on the ground, it's a question of do we get the bird back? Do we get do we get the crew back? Um, and that's that's you know, <laughs> that's not a good day. That's that's not a uh, that's not a day that you want in mission control. And so that's that's the question then that they're dealing with. And um, you know, <laughs> and it's the situation where uh, where they're uh, they're 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 working this question. They uh, you know, what do we do? And uh, and as they're discussing it, the uh, the flight director walks in and says, "Hey, don't worry about it. We're good." Uh, <laughs> And and everybody's like, oh, I'm glad to hear okay. that. But but it would be great if uh, don't worry about it. We're cool. Um, you know, back to back to normal mission ops. Crippen said it was it was apparently a a good bit of time later when he found out exactly how they knew that, and that was that the uh, the DoD had assets in orbit that um that are very good at looking at things from a distance. Um, and they took <laughs> one of those assets and they uh they looked at Columbia and. We're able to provide mission control with enough data about the uh, the condition of Columbia to let them know that uh, that, that things were okay. Um, you know the uh, the the beautiful part of that story, the sweet part of that story, is that uh, that several years later Columbia got to return the favor by deploying uh, one of the one of the same you know the same make and model of uh, of those assets uh, into orbit. So uh, you know, so that's a quid pro quo. But um, but yeah, so you know, like I said, that's that's that on orbit. From everything that, uh, that, that, that John Young and Bob Crippen have said, um, we went up, we came down, we had a great time, <laughs> lovely vehicle. Um, 
for the uh, for the people on the ground. You know, there were there were some moments that uh, you know the, the heart rates were probably elevated. But um, but then you know, like we said, is it a success? Yes. If we fly SDS two, um, SDS one is a success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how how many unknowns were there for that first mission? I mean, a ballpark figure. How how much did they not know when they when they <laughs> there got were in? an unknown number of unknowns. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was a silly uh, question. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 oh gosh, you know, I mean, I, I really couldn't tell you. I mean, this, this was literally, you know, the most complicated piece of machinery humankind had ever built. It may have been Young who, uh, who commented, you know, we're flying on a thing on which every part was built by the lowest bidder. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot of pieces and it's a lot of things that could go wrong. You know, they, to the, to the conversation that we had earlier about how do you get on that bird? How do you, uh, you know, knowing that this is the most complicated piece of machinery that's ever been built and knowing that it hasn't been test flown, you know, to space before, um, how do you get on? And their answer was, they didn't meet everybody, but, uh, but they met everybody they could. They went to the suppliers, they went to the contractors, they went to the vendors, they walked through those places. They, they made those people see that there were human beings, flesh and blood with families who were going to be getting on that vehicle and that their life rested in their hands. And uh, they said, you know, we, we looked those people in the eyes and that was how we trusted that we could, uh, that we could get on that orbiter. Well, that's beautiful. I think that's a perfect way to, uh, to end as well. Yes. Uh, unless you've awesome. got anything, Emily. No, I'm, I'm great. I'm so happy you talked to us. Uh, I, I think yeah. this was a marvelous interview. Oh, Lots yeah. Of fun. I, when we eventually do something on Skylab, I, 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 <laughs> when eventually that gets brought up, we'll we'll have you on again. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there'll ever, there'll ever be a reason to, but may, no. maybe, maybe at some point. So no, yes. I'm 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 honored to be here, and I'm I'm excited to do this. I mean, it's it's kind of funny. Uh, like I said, the, the two books, I get a lot of requests for uh, for Skylab. I've gotten you know in the last two or three weeks, I've had you know. Maybe three people call me. Hey, would you would you talk to us about Skylab? Um, I, I don't I don't get to do this with shuttle, and so you know it's been kind of awesome with the 40th anniversary. I'm I'm you know like this this is the moment. This oh you let me talk about shuttle this time. So thank you. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I really appreciate it. Robert and I have spent uh, most of the exciting and interesting uh, two and a half days probably that we ever spent in our lives or may ever spend again. The spaceship Columbia is a phenomenal. It is an incredibly amazing piece of machinery. And anytime you can take something that big and put it into space and bring it back and land it on a runway, you have just accomplished something just short of a miracle, I believe. And as always, you can hear the full unedited interview with David and watch the video too on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash space and things. Uh, but Emily, I, d- I don't think there's too much to add there. That was great. No, that was that was an incredible talk. Uh, yeah, I felt like he did a wonderful job just capturing that whole period of, oh my God, is this thing going to work? And yeah. Oh my God, it did. You know, it did yeah, work. I love the excitement in his voice when he was talking about it as well. It was great to hear. Uh, there's one thing we didn't mention, and, and, and that's, I'm going to bring it up because I feel like those who may not be as familiar with the space shuttle as history uh, may not know the answer to this. And that's the fact that it, it went up with the white fuel tank. Yeah. The, so, yep. With the, the, the more iconic photos of the space shuttle, you will mm-hmm. see this red or dark orange fuel tank that, uh, that, that it would go up with. But it was painted white for the first, was it the first two missions or yep, first, first three two. missions? First uh, two missions. SPS-3 got the orange one. Yeah. Uh, and, and they decided to stop painting it for cost and to save weight. I believe that was the understand my understanding. So, yeah, I think it looks better red. I think it looks much better red. I don't know why they didn't do that in the first place. Yeah, I think it. I, I'm so familiar with the the red color that it doesn't even like really phase me anymore. When I see the white one, I'm like, it's so weird. I can identify like which one it was. Like, oh, that's the first. That's the second. You know. Yeah. So that's it's kind of weird. I I sort of saw well I saw it from a way, distance I did the STS two launch is famously uh, infamously probably my my the first launch I saw as a kid and I saw it from 
pretty di- far distance away, but um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell if the fuel tank was white or uh, orange. All I know is that when the mains, or they didn't light back up, but when the booster set, you could see the mains, they looked really clean, you know, yeah. like the the boosters weren't really clean, but the, the mains looked really clean when they burned. Yeah. So I do remember that as a kid, and I and subsequently I'll, every later launch was like the same way, obviously. But uh, I miss shuttle launches. Oh my god, they were incredible! Like uh, seeing one, I, I never saw one really up close. I wish I had. Uh, I never saw one like a few miles away, but uh, just they were so loud. You would you would see it, you would watch it, and then you would wait you know, about a minute or two. And then all of a sudden the sound hits you and it was just like, Oh my gosh, it was awesome. You knew they were going somewhere. Yeah. I can't believe it's 40 years. I mean, it's still, I look at it. It still looks like such a new spaceship to me. It still looks so cutting edge. And I know that sounds really stupid. It's been retired for 10 years, but it's so beautiful and it's so ambitious what they were trying to do that it, to me, it's still the vision of the future. You see that and it's like, oh, that's the future. Oh no, that's the past. What? I mean, maybe it's because of how old I am now, but um, I look at a lot of the space concepts from even the seventies and I'm sure a lot of people are going to roll their eyes hearing me say this, but to me, all that stuff still looks futuristic to me. You know, like it, it's still, I still, Dang it. It's still real to me, damn it. That's all. <laughs> it's been really fun the last few days to, you know, sort of rewatch all those videos and relive sort of all that excitement, you know, and I still yeah. love watching those videos to this day, and I think I always will. Most of you standing out here in front of me have done what John and I have been doing for about the past nine years. We've been busting our buns to get the space shuttle up. Well, let me tell you, it was well worth the effort. We've got one fantastic machine. For me personally, it was the darndest time I've ever had in my entire life. Talking of launches, there have been three launches since our last podcast. On Wednesday the 7th of April, a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket launched from Cape Canaveral in Florida, delivering 60 more Starlink satellites into orbit. The next day, the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation launched a Long March 4B rocket carrying a Cheyenne 6 satellite. But we can't find any information about what that does. (laughs) Uh, and the day after that, on Friday the 9th of April, we had three people sent to the International Space Station on the Soyuz MS-18 mission from Kazakhstan. Uh, for that mission, they also honoured the 60th anniversary of Yuri Gagarin's first flight by naming the spacecraft YU.A.Gagarin. And the name was printed on the exterior insulation. Yes, uh, cosmonauts uh, Oleg Novitsky. Uh, Pyotr uh, Dubrov and NASA astronaut Mark Vandehei have all arrived safely at the station after a very quick two-orbit rendezvous. It's like the Soyuz Express. Um, <laughs> they are now, really, that's pretty fast. Uh, there are now 10 people living aboard the ISS, but not for much longer as the Soyuz MS-17 mission is due to return its three crew members home on uh, a- April 17th. Uh, the crew will then increase to 11 uh, when the SpaceX Crew 2 capsule arrives on April 23rd before the Crew 1 team comes home on 28th of April. Uh, these dates are, of course, assuming the weather is okay and everything goes to plan. Yeah, it's all change up there over the next couple of weeks, isn't it? And I suppose this this launches the start of it. You nailed those names in one. Thank you. Yeah, I did. I, I'm good at cosmonaut names, which is freaky. So I'm yeah. so impressed. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. No, you were, nailed yeah. it. I was waiting. Yeah. I was waiting for that. The only thing oh. I think I yeah the the Chinese names I have uh, I, I'm embarrassed to admit I have I need to work on. Uh, those i need to work on those and uh probably some european like french type names as well (laughs) yeah i I was practicing saying their names earlier and i just couldn't do it so uh (laughs) that's what happened there so one thing that i found out whilst looking at this story earlier was and i had no idea i'd not seen anything about this but this is crazy so the next soyuz mission MS-19 is due to take a Russian movie director and an actress to shoot portions of a science fiction film on the station. Uh, it's a, a Russian TV channel uh, uh, 
have paid for this, I guess. It's the second narrative film, but the first feature film to be shot in space and is currently being called The Challenge. I'd heard about Tom Cruise hoping to do this soon, but I didn't know there was an old school space race between the US and the Russians trying to get the first feature <laughs> film made in space. But um, the first narrative film was made in 2008 and was called Apogee of Fear and was made by Richard Garriott. That's the second Garriott we've mentioned today. Uh, I did not know any of this before today. Yes. And a quick roundup of other stories. The launch of the Mars helicopter Ingenuity has been delayed until next week at the earliest as they want to upgrade its flight control software. Uh, The SpaceX SN15 Starship prototype has moved its way to the launch pad in Boca Chica, Texas. Apparently, this is a much improved version of the Starship, having decided to skip SNs uh, 12, 13, and 14. Uh, Blue Origin are back too, assuming all the plans went as they should have. Uh, This may have happened before the podcast is released, Uh, but they're launching their new Shepard rocket on what they're calling an astronaut rehearsal suborbital flight. Uh, More on that next week. President, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden has also made his first mention of the NASA budget, and it looks like it's an increase of the uh, the 2022 budget to $25.7 billion. He does seem committed to get back to the moon, and that's great news for us spaceflight fans. And finally, the United Arab Emirates have selected two new trainees for its astronaut corps, including their first female candidate. Nora Al-Matrush is a 28-year-old mechanical engineer, and Mohammed Al-Mullah is a 32-year-old pilot for the Dubai police. Uh, so this doubles the number of UAE astronauts. And I'll be honest, I was not expecting an Arab woman to be named anytime soon. So this is great news. Yes, that is awesome news. Well, if you haven't changed any, it's really something else. i tell you, John, it did tell me about it for three years, but ain't no way you can describe it. And that's it for this week. Uh, Next week, we'll be talking to the CEO of a rocket company. So that's something new for us. Uh, Many thanks to all of you for listening. Over the last week, we have reached our 7,500th download. So that's quite a milestone. So thank you all very much. At this rate, we'll hit uh, 10,000 before our one-year anniversary. So please do keep listening and pressing the share button. The more the merrier. We'll see you next week. But in the meantime, don't forget that in space, no one can hear you me. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.